It is a great honor and a joy to introduce Cardinal Mueller, certainly a man we can all look up to. There's multiple levels of meaning like scripture. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Cardinal Mueller was born in Germany and was ordained to the priesthood of Jesus Christ in 1978. Along with his assignments in various parishes, Cardinal Mueller spent many years as professor of dogmatic theology in the prestigious Maximilian Ludwig in Munich. Between books and articles, he has more than 500 theological publications to his credit. Cardinal Mueller was also invited to serve as a visiting professor at a number of prestigious universities around the world. He was consecrated as Bishop of Regensburg in 2002. Cardinal Mueller had the opportunity to continue his academic and pastoral work including founding the Pope Benedict XVI Institute in Regensburg, which has the important task of publishing the Opera Omnia of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. In 2012, Cardinal Mueller was named Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith by Pope Benedict. He was made a Cardinal by Pope Francis in the consistory of February 22nd in the year 2014. As well as prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Mueller is also a member of several other important congregations of the Roman Curia. He is president of the International Theological Commission, the Pontifical Biblical Commission, and also the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. Cardinal Mueller has been a strong and a consistent voice in defense of the church's perennial teaching in the midst of so much confusion in our modern world. He is a man of God, possessing great faith, great hope, founded upon his deep love for Christ and his church. We are deeply honored and grateful to have him with us for this commencement this year and bestow upon him the college's honorary doctorate. By virtue of the authority vested in me by the Board of Directors and the great Commonwealth of Virginia, I confer upon His Eminence Cardinal Gerhard Müller the degree of Doctor of Humane Letters honoris causa with all the rights, honors, and privileges pertaining to that dignity since he has completed and fulfilled in singular fashion all the statutory requirements and testimony of which these letters are given under the seal of the college and the signatures of the President and the Vice President for Academic Affairs given at Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia on the 13th day of May in the year of our Lord, 2017. Congratulations, Your Eminence.
President and Mrs. O'Donnell, members of the Board of Trustees, faculty, and honored Mrs. Mary Ellen Borg, esteemed graduates along with your families and friends for this 2017 Christendom College commencement address, I would like to focus on Christian anthropology, specifically the flourishing of the human person in Jesus Christ the truly Christian integral development of the human person, and your mission, dear graduates, from this day forward, to be salt and light in the midst of the contemporary world. With the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world, the Second Vatican Council formulated the Magna Carta for integral human development developing and continuing from Pope Paul VI and his encyclical Populorum Progressio. The Church sees herself as a part of humanity, and with this the Church is interiorly connected to the joys and to the hopes and the sadness and the anguish of the human person today. But no, by no means can you separate questions about the current trend of the world, about the place and role of man in the new universe, about the meaning of individual and collective strivings, and about the ultimate destiny of reality and humanity. As the eternal Son of God, for us and our salvation was made man, he is a prototype of man for others, pro nobis. Likewise, the church does not exist for the sake of herself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous Protestant theologian, in the times of the Nazi times, later martyr, stated that the church, she is the church insofar as she is the church for others. The Council Fathers, after having explained the dogmatic constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, the origin, essence, and mission of the Church in the light of the Incarnation and the announcement of the reign of God, as well as its initiation by Jesus, of the passion and death of the Son of God, of the resurrection and of the eschatological mission of the Holy Spirit. In Gaudium and Space, they speak of the salvific service of the Church for the integral development of human person towards the fullness of what the Creator has established as a dynamic life-giving habit in the spiritual and moral nature of man. For the human person deserves to be preserved. Human society deserves to be renewed. Hence, the focal point of our presentation will be man himself. Whole and entire, body and soul, heart and conscious, mind and will. Therefore, the Council focuses its attention on the world of man, the whole human family, along with the sum of those realities in the midst of which it lives. That world which is the theater of man's history and the air of his energies 
his tragedies and his triumphs. That world which the Christian sees as created and sustained by its maker's love, fallen indeed into the bondage of sin, yet emancipated now by Jesus Christ, who was crucified and rose again to break the stranglehold of personified evil, so that the world might be fashioned anew according to God's design and reach its fulfillment. This is a theme for the dialogue amongst persons in the modern world. It is in this offering of the church to all humanity of goodwill to collaborate in finding resolutions to the most urgent questions of the day that concern all people. The inviolable dignity of every human life of the beginning until the last moment, social justice for all, peace among the families of nations, and the fight against destructive forces and powers and the enemies of the mankind. Proclaiming the exalted and divine vocation of the human person, the Church offers all of humanity the sincere assistance of the Church in fostering that brotherhood of all men which corresponds to the destiny of theirs. Whomever proposes an end that demands an action must also know the means to reach that end. If the means are immoral, then the end is compromised and discredited. In the sense of existence and the end of history are understood in a communistic way, the creation of a paradise on earth, or in a utilitarian manner, the highest level of happiness for the greatest number of people, or in social Darwinism, the realization of the survival of the fittest, or in imperialism, the dominion of a nation over other peoples, or even unbridled capitalism, the law of the exploitation of the resources of the world and of the dignity of the workers for the sake of the wealth. All these use means that violate the dignity of man and impede integral human development. History manifests that the nucleus of human existence and of human development is understood in the recognition of God as the first origin and the end of all creation. The entire scope of human history as well as its dynamic development is a reign of God on heaven and on earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray to their heavenly Father Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give her this day our daily bread. We are not able to conceive and conceptualize in a speculative manner the kingdom of God, as Gnostics of all times have attended, or produce with our hands by our own strengths as even today the Pelagians continue to do. No, the kingdom of God is grace, 
and grace brings the Holy Spirit in the world, a new spirit, the spirit of charity that sanctifies and assists, the spirit of understanding, of love, that changes our hearts and introduces in all human relations a movement of freedom. They are the theological virtues of faith, of hope and love, the cardinal virtues, not only the cardinal of the Roman Curia, but the cardinal's virtues of all men, of prudence, justice, of fortitude, and of temperance, as well as of all other gifts and charisms given to us for the sake to, to the other of the other that make us collaborators, collaborators of God in the bringing about of his kingdom. The kingdom of God has, has al already begun in this time and in this world. When the church, with the arrival of the Messiah, carries out her mission in the Holy Spirit to bring glad tidings to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. In the spirit of the Beatitudes, of, in the Sermon on, of the Mount, on the Mount, we must serve with the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Our suffering brothers and sisters, recognizing in them Christ himself. It is obvious that we are not able to understand Christianity in the sense of a bourgeois adaptation of the message, reducing the Christian message to interiority, only love of neighbor and individual philanthropy. One such caricature of Christianity that would only be an extrinsic of a life already filled with material goods reflects only the Marxist's understanding or misunderstanding of religion, which as we know, vilified, vilified the message of Christ as a religion of the afterlife. Christians, however, are not able to understand the kingdom of God on earth as it's in heaven only as above and outside of the world, nor are we able to reduce salvation to the world alone in the scent of social and purely humanitarian NGOs. Reverence toward God and the responsibility for the world are inseparably connected in Christ who did not come into this world to free us from it, from the world, but to lead man and the world to their authentic destiny in the salvific plan of God. Indeed, man, in so far as he is a creature, in all of his existence, from the beginning of his journey to the end, stands before God, his creator, redeemer and fulfiller. On the other hand, it is clear that the human person with all of his or her mortal limitations 
is capable of losing the gifts, of morally failing, and is unable to save his or her self. All of the fleeting goods and riches of the world are not able to satisfy the infinite desire for the happiness in the heart of the human person. All of our knowledge and thoughts emanating from our limited reason will not ever be able to reveal the mystery of being. Also, the most altruistic of works come to nothing if they, if they do not have charity. And if their end is not in the love that God has poured into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit. Our human reason, therefore, must always be considered in the context of the supernatural faith that illumines so that we have a proper understanding of freedom. With our creative capacity and with a joy that derives in the proper understanding of the love of God and neighbor, we are free from the tragedy of fate. We are no longer destined to mortality alone, condemned in eternity to failure. We think of the classical myth of Prometheus and Sisyphus of Titan and of Arine, of the rage to envy and hate, of vendettas is self-destruction. Instead, how liberating is the sound of a new heaven and a new earth that descends, descends from the heavenly Jerusalem. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order is passed away. The only one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. The political ideologies that we have suffered and endure in the 20th century and that under disguise continue even until today with other names, their perverse and destructive thought are concerned only with the growth of their totalitarianism, with the absolute power of man over other persons. Behind totalitarianism, the attempt to seize in thought or in action and in action, the fun foundational aspects, fundamental aspects of being human, of the human person in the world, and to substitute God's creation for their own creation, presumably better. They consider themselves wiser and more capable than God. The program for the development of totalitarianism is a humanism without or humanism against God. It is a project contrary to what the church offers the world with the gospel of Christ. 
which is that of integral human development. The vision which the Church offers is founded in a synthesis of creation and redemption, of faith and reason, of grace and freedom, of fullness, of the divine efficacy and the authentic human collaboration in the realization of the universal and salvific will of God. Totalitarian growth signifies that the great majority of people are the product of the few that impose their, them their individual desires, beginning with the concept of designing one's baby all of the way to euthanasia, euthanasia for those who are too tired to live or who have become unuseful up to the sociological laboratories that want to make humanity happy with their political and economic theories, but in reality only enslaved to their fantasy for omnipotence. We also must not be silent regarding the new forms of colonialism that is understood for its contribution to modernization, but instead in reality it is only an aggressive importation of a deformed image of the human person, of the so-called society of well-being, of which was already put into perspective by Paul VI in his Populorum Progressio. The criteria for such a society of well-being must take into consideration the countries of the developing world and not only Europe and North America. Otherwise, there would be the problem of the negation of other cultures as authentic and legitimate expression of humanity. Variety and riches. This, nonetheless, is a message of Pentecost when all peoples in diverse languages announce together the great works of God in the language, language of love, suddenly they were all understanding each other. Monolithic cultures are risky, mainstreaming is risky, and not only from an agricultural point of view. The difference between integral development from a point of view which is social, material, economic, and political, and a totalitarian development with its programs of self-redemption rests in the image of the human person in anthropology. The fundamental anthropological affirmation is the human person is a creature of God. And because he or she is a person and not a casual product of blind and arbitrary matter or of the construction of social engineers. In the essence or being of human person, the human person proceeds from the idea that God has for him and her and for the will that God has for him and her. And it develops 
in the context of time and history. In his knowledge and will, he or she reflects and represents in the world the truth and the goodness of God. God is not only good and true, but we are the reflection of his goodness and his truth. The human person does not pass by way of nature or by way of the will from an imperfect product to a mature product, neither nicer organically or technically. The human person rather grows through thought and work through spiritual attitudes and moral conviction. So man from the beginning is a being of culture, of the sciences and of the theoretical and practical arts. Without original sin, there would have been only integral development. After, however, and according to our redemption in Christ remains a continuing battle also against destructive power and sin within us and in the world. Based in Revelation, we know that God created man in the state of integrity. In justice and original holiness, man was united to God through grace, so that the natural principles of one's being and condition in the life were able to develop, be built up, leading to reciprocal edification. This is a human person in her or his unity of body and soul, in the togetherness of other persons, beginning with the marriage of man and a woman. For marriage, one finds all of the spiritual and material development of a social life that begins with a family and ends with a nation and the community of all people. It would be a misunderstanding if one were to understand the original state of integral nature as a fairy tale empirically demonstrable, demonstrable as a chrono chronological beginning of the history of humanity. Creation rather signifies the origin and the essence of the created in the idea of God of God as the beginning and the end of all humanity. God, therefore, is a measure and the norm for being truly human. The human person created in the image and likeness of God exists as a participation and representation of the essential truth and goodness of God. God saw what he had made and saw that it was very good, not only good, very good. The created man manifests here or himself as an end, most probably through the human act, in the transmission of the gifts received as well as in the fulfillment of good works. According to his plan for them in creation, being and the human acts are essentially constructive and life-giving as they encourage, help, and build up. Whomever does the good, even if they do not yet recognize God explicitly, 
is the mediator of the goodness of God. Man glorifies God and renders visible the goodness of God in good works. Therefore, we are able to collaborate with all people of goodwill for the good of humanity and learn even from philosophy, from science, from those who are not Christian. If, for example, we take Aristotle and Mahatma Gandhi, it would appear wrong to divide in an exaggerated manner Christianity from the rest of humanity, as if to assert, for example, that all of the pagan virtues are vices and all of their knowledge is only error and fallacy. For us, grace and nature are belonging together and are not in a contradiction. Grace and nature, faith and reason must be distinct but not separate. So that the relation between the church and the state, between religion and society, is determined by the cooperation for the common good and not by mutual confrontation or saying religion is only a private thing. In Gaudium et Space, one finds an article that pertains to the assistance that the church herself has received from the contemporary world after the explanations of what the church offers the world. However, from Revelation, we also know the origin of evil. The malum does not derive from a deficiency in the work of creation or from a disturbing work from a malignant God as the dualistic Gnostics taught it, but from a negative action of man in his relationship with God. It's coming out the evil from our will. With the original sin of Adam and its consequences, such as its transmission by propagation to all mankind, the disintegration entered in the relation be be between God and man and in the relationship between human persons with the animal world as well as the environment and in lived history. The multiplication of physical evils are only manifestations of the moral evil. We are not able to separate ourselves from this valley of tears. Man is not able to redeem himself, and nobody may themselves decide to become the redeemer of one's neighbor. All of the experimentation to produce an ideal state through philosophical systems and means of political and economical power have failed miserably, miserably and have left only disasters in their wake. Neither does an infinite process of the, for the optimization of humanity exists because the possibility of abuse goes hand in hand with scientific progress. The social network may be used in either a constructive, constructive or destructive manner. Organ transplant that saves a life offers, on the other hand, the new possibilities for crimes against humanity through the commercial sale of organs. Enlightenment remains dialectical. 
and technical process ethically ambivalent. The alternative between the good and the bad is no longer valued, all in the name of and for the sake of progress. As long as the human spirit exists, the spirit asks the question of the truth of being and the moral value of an act, human act, it will not be able to avoid a position with this same choice set on a firm foundation, transcendently referring to God as origin and the end of human person. Only the creator is able also to be the redeemer. This is our faith, that God has sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sake of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Rather than an utopia of humanity, he brought the world, the kingdom of God. Only where God reigns through love is the human person able to be truly free. He who believes in him is placed on the journey of following Christ, and in he or she, a son or daughter of God, brother and sister of Christ, and we are friends of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we become a new creation. At that moment, we become equipped to cooperate with all of the strengths, talents, spiritual and corporal charisms in the work of God, though that in the end the project of the salvific will of God is fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth. For we are handiwork created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in advance that we should live in them. The justification of the sinner brings about the integral restitution of the human person in his or her adoption as a son or daughter of God, as well as bringing about friendship with God. One is then called to overcome the old world of sin, of egoism, and of the enmities both within oneself and within the world. Instead of working in a destructive, egoistic manner, we desire to contribute to the growth of the reign of God in a constructive manner, despite of all faults and disappointments. Christ has already established the real reign of God. Though it remains hidden, the church, if it remains faithful to him, is both able and mandated to both announce the gospel and mediate the grace of the Holy Spirit through the sacraments and support the project of an integral salvation of God through her participation in the integral development of human person and indeed of all humanity. In martyrdom and in the liturgy, but also in diaconal service, the church realizes her particular mission when she announces and crowns the dignity of man. The principle is that man in his nature 
and with every other single man as a human person, is an end in his or her self, and one must never make another a means for an end that is lower than that of the lofty end of the realization of the will of God regarding that particular person. The Christian battles against physical and moral evils and its contributions to, in a constructive manner to the conditions of life pertaining to the dignity of human person. At the foundation of this, his dignity are the rights to lodging, food, and clothing, as well as a right to earn a living for himself and for the well-being of his family. And in his or her work, one grows and develops in capacity and in turn contributes to the deepening of the awareness of his or her proper identity. As a human person is a spiritual being and totally endowed with freedom, he or she enters the challenge of the participation in political life, in society, in all and in all of the mundane reality and his or her relative autonomy there is recognized by the church and its magisterium. The pastoral constitution, the world, the church and the modern world is specifically given to all men, also to atheists, which the purpose of offering to all men and women, women of good will as a sincere dialogue regarding the most important topics with regards to peace and of war, of the development of modern weapons and their capacity to destroy all of humanity, of the incredible possibilities of science and technology that make possible for the human family a future of dignity. Nobody may divert their gaze, while the number of those who go hungry grow are deprived of their rights and reduced to slavery, while the drama of the refugees arriving on the European shores and the American border increase, and while being in a unified world, the risks and the challenges of globalizations are ever-present. The church participates in the contemporary world not as a lobby, concerned only with its own particular interests that bring about her own advantage. All that is found in Gaudium et Spes is oriented toward the dignity of human person, the human community, and the ultimate sense of being and of human action, lays a foundation for the relationship between the church and the world and provides the basis for a dialogue between them. It offers not only dialogue, dialogue but also collaboration until the brotherhood of all men is accomplished, which corresponds to the high and divine vocation of human person of every human being. By holding faithful to the gospel and benefiting from its resources, by joining with every man who loves and practices justice, Christians have shouldered a gigantic task for fulfillment in this world, a task concerning which they must give a reckoning to him 
who will judge every man on the last of days. Not everyone who cries, confesses, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the Father's will by taking a strong grip on the work at hand. Now the Father wills that in all men we recognize Christ our brother and love him effectively in word and in deed. But thus giving witness to the truth, we will share with others the mystery of the Heavenly Father's love. As a consequence, men throughout the world will be aroused to a lively hope, lively hope, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that someday at the last they will be caught up in peace and utter happiness in that fatherland radiant with the glory of the Lord. Summary of all natural and Christian anthropology is to say, dare to be great in the grace of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.